Hey everybody, we're back. Theology on Mission podcast where we engage the issues of culture for mission, for Christ and his mission with theology thrown in occasionally. <laughs> Mike Moore, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, we're on a roll, wouldn't you say, Mike Moore? On a roll. We are on a roll indeed. <laughs> um, I think what I'm hearing is that you're a little bit uh, exhausted or weary of technology. Is that true? <laughs> It was uh, quite the adventure to get onto this podcast, but we but we made it happen. Do you think people on uh, that listen regularly to the Theology on Mission podcast get get a little bit uh, tired of listening to you complain about technology? <laughs> Probably as much as they get tired of hearing you talk about hockey. No one gets tired of hearing about hockey, do they? Yeah. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, before we lose the last two listeners on the podcast, <laughs> we want to... Uh, say welcome to Theology on Mission podcast, and we have a very special guest with us. Yes, all the way from San Francisco. His name is Al Tazan, and he is a missiologist, and he is a pastor at Grace Fellowship Church in San Francisco. He is a regular member, affiliate professor of mission and global leadership at North Park Theological Seminary. He has taught for us. And he just turned us down to teaching for us at Northern Seminary, but we expect you to be a regular part of our faculty nonetheless, don't we, Mike Moore? Yes. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Dr. Tizal. Well, thank you. Thank you, Fitch. Thank you, Mike. It's good to be on. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, of course, I grew up in Canada, and in Canada, you're required to learn French by grade three. And I have a little French accent, Tizal. But that's not the Philippine, Filipino approach. Can you give us a little lesson on how to pronounce your name? I can. I can. So if we're in the Philippines, the accent is on that second syllable. So you, and, then, and that Z is kind of a soft Z, almost sounds like a S plus. So it's like this. It's Tison. Ooh, Tison. 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 Um, yeah, I, I but. Yeah, on my 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 brain when I said. Yeah, you yeah. did, you did. You had you had that little French thing going, and you don't you don't have to do that in the Philippines. Uh, in English, though, you know, I've gotten I I grew up here in the U.S., so it's it's I'm very used to the syllable of the accent being on that first syllable and that Z being stronger. So it's Tizon. So it's Al Tizon. That's that's I answer to that too. All right, thanks very much for that. That is extremely helpful. But before we move into the interview. Let's hear Mike Moore pronounce Dr. Al's by his name. Go ahead. Give us a shot. Well, I'll, I'll do it in English. Tizan. There you go. There yeah. you go. And I've, I've been, I've Look been to the English. Philippines. I love this opening introduction where in Al's book, he's talking about the mega mall. Cause I've been to that mega mall. It oh is, yeah. It, it arrests all your senses. Oh my goodness. Indeed. It Indeed. is, it, it is truly a mega, isn't it? Mega as mega gets. Incredible. Uh, yeah. Uh, Mike Moore is, is just jumping right in. Uh, <laughs> I just want to say, introduce this book that Dr. Al Tizong. Gee, now you guys got me. <laughs> now you're in your head. <laughs> but the name of the book is Christ Among the Classes, The Rich, the Poor, and the Mission of the Church. Folks, I have thoroughly enjoyed reading it. Not only a, a sociological, missiological text, but an extremely practical one. We hope to get yes. into uh, the, the practicalities of this book uh, before the interview. But congratulations, Al, on, on an extraordinary 
book. Can you tell us uh, why you wrote this book? What moved you to write the book and what you hoped to accomplish with writing the book? You know, as a, as an, as a fellow author, Fitch, you, you, you know this, but before a, a book ever gets produced, you're basically writing it in your head for, for years. And so the, there's, this is no exception. I've been writing this book in my head for the last 30, 35 years. And, um, you know, finally, I, I got to jotting it down on paper. Uh, but basically, the reason I wrote it and the reason it's not left me, you know, I've been really haunted for the last 30, 35 years on the whole issue of, of inequality in our world, the rich, the poor. And, uh, and I've, I have, I've struggled with that as someone who, who has felt a strong call to serve among and with and for on behalf of the, the underprivileged and the vulnerable in the world. That gap just, just has nagged me. It's just bothered me. And uh, so I, I wrote it to, first of all, keep myself accountable. One who has, okay. who's, you know, who I, I, you know, I finally, I finally admitted and confessed that, hey, when I read about the rich in the Bible, I, I, they're talking about me. I'm not, I'm, it's not they, it's, it's, it's us, it's, it's me. It's, and so as, as a rich person in the world, I, write, I wrote this book to keep myself accountable. And I mean that, I, I truly mean that. It was. It helped me organize my my thinking, my feelings, my passion, my theology, and 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 I know I'm not alone in it too. So I thought that a book that would keep me accountable could also keep my other rich friends accountable. And by accountable, you know, accountable to what? Well, accountable to Jesus. I mean, if we're we say we follow Jesus, and and yet when it comes to economic matters. We're about as far away from Jesus as as we can, you know, as we can be. And so I, I had to deal with that incongruence, that that dissonance. Hmm. Had to deal with it, and I had to put it on paper. And that's really the the gist of this book. Hmm. Yeah, and you 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 put it on paper, but you also lead us through several transformations that are possible in and through our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So I just thought it was not only a compelling description of the issue and the problem, but a extremely practical way to work through these. The, the transformation I think God is calling us to in relation to how we live in, but hopefully not of, capital yeah. and affluence yeah. in this country. Yeah, right. I, I, I was very intentional about being practical with this. You know, I've read enough of these books, these kinds of books that call us to economic justice and then kind of leave us dangling guiltily and not know what to do. You know, it's like, well, thank you for, you know, thank you for telling us that we're, we're rich Christians in an age of hunger, for example. But, but what do we do about it? Is there anything that we personally can do about it and and that's that was kind of the driving question so i yeah. appreciate you talking about dang leaving us dangling with yeah. nothing to do but i just think that's so much of just about everything going on in our culture when it comes to justice we're going to mm. point out all the injustice but and we're going to 
we're going to make ourselves feel better maybe by doing so on social media. But when it comes to actually engaging the underground uh, realities of injustice, nobody seems to get to it. And that's why a book like this uh, can lead us people as Christians to actually be present to the injustice and un allow our lives to disrupt it and unwind it. Mike Moore, I, I, yeah. I see you're 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 you've got that pensive look on your face. I can't that figure out look. intense curiosity or or you're just confused. But <laughs> maybe you have a question for us. Yeah, I do. Without giving away the book, you know, because we want we want people to go out there and, and to buy this book. But maybe you could give us a little bit of a you know a teaser explore a little bit about what you're doing. The the first half of the book you, you divided between um Jesus with the rich, Jesus with the poor. Right. Can, can you dive into that a little more, how you distinguish those two? How is Jesus different or is Jesus different in how he's present with the rich and how he's present with the poor? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're right. The, the, the book is very simply organized. This, in part one and part two, part one is Christ among the classes. And I, I wanted to paint a a portrait, basically, of, of how Jesus interacted with the rich and poor of his day and what he taught about wealth and poverty. And, and then the second, I'll get back to the, the question about Jesus and the difference between his, his demeanor and his teaching between, among the rich and among the poor. But the second half of the book is basically church among the classes. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm encouraging us as the church today to look into the, the mirror of Christ. So this first part will serve as a, as a kind of mirror of Christ among the classes. And, and then what do we see when we look into that mirror? And, you know, the assumption is, well, we certainly don't see Christ among the classes. We, we see, yeah, I have to interrupt we, you too. I have to interrupt yeah. Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Some people out there and I'd be one of them who, who wonder what you mean when you talk about class classism mm. and, and what why it's so prominent in your thought here could you could you just give us a little riff and then get back to where you yeah <laughs> on class yeah classism yes 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 so class i i, I use it classically in in a, in that it, it it's a a way of understanding the world in terms of the rich the poor and everyone in between i i and then classism i'm just gonna i'm just gonna read my definition out of the book. It's on page Roman numeral 22. It's classism is collective prejudice formed into a system of inequality based on socioeconomic stratification. It is undergirded by embedded cultural narratives concerning the poor and then instituted by the powers that be at the expense of the poor. Mm -hmm. if, you, if you were just to replace the word socioeconomic stratification and just put in their race, you would have the definition of racism too. Yeah. So it's, it's just, it's, it's the same kind of, you know, hierarchy or center versus margin that, that racism can be defined with. Is that helpful, Fitch? Yeah. Yeah. That gets us a, a, a long way through it. And, and later on, if we get to it, I want to talk about class, race, economic, socioeconomic, yeah classism and it's how it plays into race but let's get back on now i think everybody understands including me <laughs> what class and classism is yeah. now you were talking about your method in the book 
Jesus yeah. as the image to understand how we are to engage and then the things we can do as church. So just yeah. complete those. Yeah. So, yeah. so section two basically challenges us. Okay. Are we really following Jesus? Because if we are, then, then we would at least be on the trajectory toward Christ likeness. And in this particular case, Christ likeness among the classes. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, the, the, the answer is no, we're not doing very well. Or, or yeah, no, we, we don't look like Jesus among right. the, the classes. And so section two is, is giving practical ways in which the church can better reflect Christ among the classes. And I and identify six life movements that will uh, bring us, you know, closer to, to this image of, of Christ among the rich and the poor. So that's the way it's easy. That's the way it's, it's, it's organized the book. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Sorry. And, and so the, the original question that, that Mike posed though was, all right, what's the difference between how Jesus interacted with the rich and the poor? And so back to section one, where I, I do talk, I, I do dedicate a chapter to Jesus among the rich, another chapter to Jesus among the poor. And uh, Here's, here's the, the succinct difference. Jesus was a advocate friend of the poor, and he was, an, he was a prophet friend of the rich. So that's, that's the portrait that I, paint, that I paint there. It's not like he's condemning the rich to hell kind of thing and, and uplifting the poor just by virtue of them being poor. That's, that's not the picture that I, I found in the New Testament of Jesus. I find him as a friend, an advocate friend to the poor and a prophet friend to the rich. You, you, I, you know, there's, there's something I, uh, I'll, I'll just point out here that something we overlook in the story of the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and, and said, you know, what, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and Jesus said, sell everything, come follow me. But one, one thing that we often overlook is that Jesus looked at him, loved him, and told him to sell everything he had and follow him. Yeah. And so, so we, you know, there's no, it's not love versus hate here. It's not love, love the poor, hate the rich. It's love everyone, but we have a different message for the poor and a different message for the rich, according to yeah. Christ and among the classes. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Oh, that, yeah. That makes that that's an incredible observation. I don't know why why we don't instinctively know that, but it's so true. Like I think money is power, and I think when power gets a hold of you, and you you, you go into this protective phase, and you almost isolate yourself from other people, setting mm. yourself over people, and so it's a loving act. By Indeed. Jesus, to call him out of that, that rich right. young ruler, and to go be among people where you are going to experience the flourishing of another kind. Yes. And the flourishing of American affluence, the flourishing of another kind. And that's kingdom of love. Yeah. 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 Isn't that great? I mean, that's that it gives, it gives a little hope to those who are rich in the world. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to guess that, it, that anyone's listening to this podcast is probably among them. Yep. And so this, it's good news. It's good news that Jesus loves us. And that it's good news that there is a way 
for the rich to to follow Jesus. But it's not an it's not an easy way. You know, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. You know, mm-hmm. it's it, it's such a hold on you. Oh, it does. It there's no question, and it's you know, it's it's impossible. It it, it says, in fact, Jesus after the disciples were were basically exasperated after Jesus told what he told, what he said to the rich young ruler, saying, well, then who can be saved? You know, and, and Jesus said, well, it's impossible with, with, you know, with you, but with God, all things are possible, right? Yeah. So it's, it's nothing less than a conversion, a, mm. spirit, a spirit-induced conversion in us, hmm. which is why I begin section two with awakening, right. awakening to compassion. So, okay, so let's move into section two, and you've described it already. Um, but you have these six movements, yeah, uh, changes that take place in your life that are transformative. Yes, and, and so you you show us. I'll just I'll just go through them really quickly. From self gain to generosity, mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. the movement from accumulation. To simplicity. These are these are motivations that drive us at American capitalist world, from proprietary rights to hospitality. Oh, this is a good one. From savior complex to friendship. From safety to solidarity. We probably can't go through all six. I read all Probably has your appetite whetted for just to know more about how I can become and, you know, move in these directions. But can you give us, can you, well, well, just, let's just take the example of the, the first one from self gain to generosity. It sounds almost impossible to, you know, change my motivations from being about self gain and, you know, that to being a generous person. How does that even happen? How do you, well, 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 let me let me just give a slight correction. The first one is actually, I have it, I have it identified as awakening to compassion. But you know, and here's here's the thing about writing books: once it's out there, you can't make those kinds of the kind of changes that you wish you you could, right? So, I if I had this book, if if it was still if it was still being edited, I would have identified that the first movement. Not awakening to compassion, but from blindness or indifference to compassionate awakening. And that really is the first movement, Fitch, because it, like I said, it, it's nothing less than a conversion that, that we have to undergo to, to, be cut, to get on this path toward Christ-likeness and, and, and economic justice. And so, but, but if, if you want to talk about this from self-gain to generosity, we could, we could do that. But that's the second movement. Of the six. Worked for you. Just, we just need a, I need something to give me an idea of how I move from one, the, from, from the left to the right, if, if that's the way we want to call it. Yeah. Self gain. Right, right, right. The, you know, uh, what I, what I say in that chapter is that be, become aware mm-hmm. that since we were knee high to a grasshopper to use that, analogy we have been taught that we're we look out for us we look out for number one 
the and it's it's not necessarily that we were taught that in a in a particular classroom. It, it's just in the air. It's mm-hmm. it's the it's the capitalist market based society that teaches us that we look out for number one, hmm. and and so our whole our whole life is toward the self actualization. To use Maslow's hierarchy of needs, what are we just have to climb that that pyramid and and be self actualized? And part of that is to be financially. Uh, secure, if not exceedingly rich, and that's that's our that is our default worldview economically. And so, when when we can identify that and confess it, and and see that it's contrary to the the a, a worldview that that's more informed by the kingdom, when we see the the the, the difference there. You know, I would hope that as a follower of Jesus, we can repent of that. We can confess that we have been following a false dream, mm-hmm. you know, of, of self-gain. And, and, and what, what do we move toward when we move out of that? When we begin to move out of that, we can begin to see that the resources that, that we have before us can be given or used or stewarded, that maybe that'd be the best, better word, stewarded to truly be good news to the the less privileged in the world. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense, but like I remember this I, I was leading a community about 20 years ago, 25 years ago. There's a bunch of we just about 50 people living in Chicago trying to be an intentional community. We all had jobs, we all had and some of us were were quite successful and I, I remember there's this one dude struggling with his life. And we discerned he needed to go to uh, uh, technology school, that, but he didn't have the money. So I went to three people. One was a doctor. One was a, a quite successful advertising guy and me. And I said, let's all throw in 2000 bucks and get them going. I thought, this is what we do. Come on. Yep. We all know we got probably five, six at this point in our lives, five, six, seven thousand dollars in the bank. Come on, let's go. Two thousand bucks. <laughs> You would have thought I had asked him to like get somebody or murder, commit a crime. It's right. so out of it, so breaks the habits of the way. We, and by the way, the guy who needed the money, he he resisted. Oh, come on, I can't take your money. Blah 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 blah. I mean, how can I take your money? I should I should borrow it and go into debt. It's all this to say, doing this is earth shaking to the way we've been trained by capitalism and our bank accounts yes, to live lives that are transforming the world. Yes. If we just witness to the world another way, it would be amazing. So, is it, so, you know, Mike, Mike yeah. Morgan, you probably have a lot of experiences of ones I just described, right? Oh yeah. Did something very similar in Chicago in an intentional community. I've also been the benefit of incredible generosity in my life. So I think for me, it was, it was embedded fr- from an early age. I am like Fitch and probably you, Al, really troubled by this sense that my money is mine to accumulate. And I'm not saying it's bad to have a retirement account, but it all kind of centers around my, my gain and my use. Yeah. And it's so hard to disciple people 
out of that or to even give them an imagination for what Fitch is talking about. It's, yeah. it, it, it sounds absurd, but it also seems to me to be the most obvious kingdom way to live. Well, I'm glad you used the word discipleship because this is a discipleship issue. Yeah. And, and you know, I don't see it much in discipleship curriculum to talk about mm-hmm. money and our, 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 our socioeconomic view of things, you know, but it is a discipleship issue because, you know, Jesus, you've heard this before, but Jesus taught more about this than any other subject. I mean, yes. embedded in kingdom theology, but you know, if, if we're going to, if we're going to, if the church is going to divide on anything, argue about something and spend all its time and energy and resources to debate something, man, it's got to be this. It's not that mm-hmm. other thing that, that seems to right. be dividing everything. The, the one that occupies six verses in the Bible, the, this, this topic is, I mean, if we're just talking about sheer volume of verses, if that, if that says anything about what's important to God, then it, we're, we got to be talking about this. We got to talk about money, economics, how we, yeah. how we deal and how we, how we regard the, the poor in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it was your, I think it was your colleague or, or I guess he's retired now, Klein Snodgrass, who may, who first taught me this observation. A majority of the parables are, are dealing with money or, or that's so true. Or money is a, is a major character in the parables. Yes. Money almost has, you know, mammon has uh, a kind of a characteristic. That's right. And oftentimes it is counter to, to God's kingdom. Yeah. Yeah. And then, by the way, Klein's book on that 500 page book on parables, it's awesome. Yes. Yes. So, but we're talking about Altizan, well, Christ among the classes. Did I get the name right? No, you can yeah. laugh at me every time. No, I- you did great. Tizong, Tizong. You did great. Okay. You did great. Christ among the classes, the rich, the poor, and the mission of the church, folks. We, I am highly recommending this book to work through these issues. One more thing before we get to some of the closing uh, things we want to talk about. From savior complex to friendship. That's another of these movements. (laughs) Yeah. I just love that way of talking about it because because i think at least affluent churches often affluent white churches they they think they're thinking right now hey i give money to the poor i help the poor i am a i am an advocate for the poor but they're doing it from a posture of privilege and power and money as opposed yeah. to friendship. How do you lead us out of that? Those bad, nothing <laughs> ever good happens out of it. I mean, so, well, let me take that back. Good things happen when we relieve suffering in the world, but transformative things happen when we go be among people and yeah. work together on problems in the world. Can you t- talk about that a little bit and, and how we can go from Yes. 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 You know, that this is another sort of default posture that the rich have. And that is that we're here to save the world. It, it's the, the poor are, are, are at our mercy and, and it, we need to be, you know, we need to be good people and, and give. And that's, you know, underneath all of that is really a savior complex. 
and it's a default among the rich. And so again, identifying it and, and saying that and saying, wow, wait a minute, we got to go deeper than this. Because if, if we don't, if we're not in, in, a, in a posture that, that desires to get to know, to befriend, to be among the, the poor in the world, then our relationship will never get beyond the, the project level. The, the poor are, are a project, and we can throw money at it and, and, and not, not affect our own lifestyle. In fact, we feel pretty good about throwing money at it, and we could say that we're compassionate people and we're, we're, doing, we're doing good. It will never get beyond that. And like you just said, transformation doesn't happen that way. It only happens in deep relationship with one another and, a, and a, a willingness on the part of both the rich and the poor to come together and, and learn from one another. Hmm. This is exactly what we say among, in, in anti-racist work, right? We just say, hey, black, white, and brown, you need to come together in all of its awkwardness and tension and, 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 and learn in Christ how to, how, to be, how to be that mosaic. That's the same thing with classes. Two different worlds. The rich and the poor occupy very different worlds. And in order for, for true friendship to happen, there needs to be a willingness to, be, to become interclass for the rich and the poor to come together in the, in the, the equalizing power of the gospel. Hmm. And so that's, the, that's what this movement is, is encouraging, is, is urging, really, is, hey, do you, have a, do, you have, do you even have one friend who you would consider poor? Are they really, truly friends of yours? You know, that, that kind of questioning, interrogating of self needs to happen if, if we're going to get anywhere with this, you know, eradicating classism among us. Yeah. And so, folks, if you're listening to this conversation and you're thinking, I'm going to read this book and I'm just going to have a heap of guilt thrown on me and I'm going to walk away <laughs> not knowing what to do. Not true. Not true. There is, I mean, I rarely have I seen a book try to engage some very complex sociological and theological issues and then offer ways to think through not only my own development, but my development as a church. And so I just want to encourage you, those exercises are in the back of the book and they're well worth on their own the price of the book. But let's get to a kind of a concluding question. I'll ask one and then you you ask one, Mike, and, and we're going to have to close off the podcast because we could go for another hour. Yeah, we could. We could. <laughs> but in another conversation, Al, you and I were talking about you being a pastor and you've also had your feet in the academic world. And, yeah. and your question was in, in taking on your latest role in office as a pastor in, in San Francisco is, you know, can a missionary be a pastor? And, you know, a lot of us are reading this book and some of us are listening to this podcast and we're, we're, we're going, oh, I've got to lead a church to be a sustainable organization with people that actually give money to the church and maybe they are affluent. And, and at the same time, this book and your message are challenging me to lead a church into mission, into a presence among those who are poor and hurting uh, and disrupting the economic injustice of yeah. Hollander. Is the two even, <laughs> can a missionary, mm. and that's what you become after you read this, 
be a mm. path. What do you got? Give us, give us your best. Uh, I don't even know if this is solvable in a podcast, but help us with this question. Well, the answer is it must, they, they must go together. And the missionary pastor, the, a pastor whose vision is in, informed by the kingdom is to me the, the, the one that is in a position to equip the congregation to be reflective of God's, of the kingdom's values in the world. And that includes economic justice. We're working that out together. The, the church I lead and, and I are working that out together in terms of what that looks like. Because even though I say it must, it's rare <laughs> that, that, you know, a missionary takes on uh, the role of, of shepherding uh, a congregation and a, a missiologist, no less, you know, not, not just someone who has been, who's done work out there, in, in my case, the Philippines, but is also, who also teaches in a seminary and in an academic setting. You know, what, why, what are you doing in a church? Well, I mean, really, my question is, why aren't more of us in the church? Are, are, are we not serving the church to be, the ch to be all it can be in the world? I mean, if we really believe that the, the church, God's people, an exp a, a concrete expression of, of God's people, is, is not God's primary agent of change in the world. I mean, if, if we believe that it is God's primary agent of change in the world, then why aren't more of us there? And so I, I am loving this new or renewed understanding of this vocation as, as missionary pastor, because I really believe that if we can get a hold of practically, not, not just theoretically, but practically, we can get a hold of the inseparable connection between church and mission, then we can, we can return to the business of turning the world upside down again. Hmm. So wish me luck. Well, not luck. <laughs> bless me. Bless me in, my, in, in this, in this work because I, I really believe it can happen. Yeah. But like I said, we're, we're working this out. Hmm. Good. Fabulous. Fabulous. Mike Moore, do you have some closing words? Yeah. Cl closing word. This is geared more towards our listeners. Well, it, it includes us too. Al, earlier you said that probably most of our listeners are, are the rich. I think that's true. And I, I would assume most of them are probably also pastoring the rich, you know, rich pastors pastoring the rich. Yeah. For those who are listening and are leading churches, how do they embody that prophetic friendship uh, of Jesus to their, to their rich congregation? What, what does that actually look like from either from the pulpit or whether they are you know, leading small groups, running a business meeting. What does it look like to be the prophetic, friendly pastor? <laughs> well, you know, you you hit it. You hit it on the head earlier when you when you used the word discipleship. You know, churches can get their heads around. Oh yeah, that's why we exist. We 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 want to be you know better disciples. We we want to grow in our discipleship. Yeah. If we can understand socioeconomic justice as a discipleship issue to and, and to define discipleship beyond knowing intellectually the basics of the faith it 
actually means following Jesus. I mean, that's and and all that that implies. That is that if we can think of that concretely and not abstractly, theoretically, theologically, if we can think about following Jesus in the concrete as discipleship, then it does inform our 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 economics, mm-hmm. the way we regard the poor, the way we regard ourselves as rich people, our generosity, our compassion, our hospitality. It, it just it it informs all of that. And so, what does it look like in the church? Well, hey, church, this is discipleship. So let's let's in our preaching, in our Sunday school classes, in our business meetings, in our church potlucks, are we are are we living out our discipleship in our church potlucks for example are we inviting the community are, are we doing it in a park instead of inside our the, the 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 walls of our church so that no one else can can join in i mean mm-hmm. this little things like that could could begin to transform the the culture of a particular congregation to begin reflecting this 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 christ among the classes yeah yeah thanks <laughs> All right, everybody. That was great. That was a great time with Al Tizon. How was that? You're getting better and better there, Fitch. She <laughs> is Christ among the classes by Dr. Al Tizon. You know, Al's taught in our doctorate in contextual theology program. Uh, our doctorate in contextual theology program will probably be using this book in, as a centerpiece in one of our classes. Uh, if you all are interested in that, work uh call up mike moore and sign up for an incredible mm-hmm. figure out if it's for you but in the meantime folks uh many many much much thanks to uh al to be with us on this podcast yes we wish all the success in getting this book out it's an extremely helpful and practical as well as a well-done piece of scholarship uh your your uh life will be enriched by reading it uh so uh great time here on the podcast so mike can i, Moore and, oh, can I say one more thing yes please yeah. i want to say one more thing i i dedicated this book to my my friend and mentor ronald j cider who passed away last year and he he taught me everything i know really about this stuff and i in the book there's by way of a, a kind of afterward i i read a tribute to mm-hmm. him and uh, you know if if you're gonna uh, if you're considering Getting this book somehow, do it because you want to know more about this stuff, but also as a, in honor of a really, truly great man yeah. whom I miss very much. Hmm. Yes, much has been learned from Dr. Ron Sider. And I was going to mention that if we hadn't gone so long in the podcast. <laughs> so thanks for doing it. Yes. Reminding us of his work and influence on our lives. Folks, it's... It's time to wrap up the Theology on Mission podcast for another time. It's been great to have you with us. If you have time, give us a review on any platform that you listen to us on. And and we're back next week. Same time, same station. We hope you'll join us. Until then, it is Mike Moore and Dave Fitch over 